be here. Pastor Randy told me I could preach till 12. He didn't say 12 midnight or 12 noon, so there is that thing. They say there's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. Let's find that line, eh? You know, let's see if we can push up against it. Uh, I, but I always console myself with the fact that I've never done what the Apostle Paul did. He preached so late one night, a dude fell out the window and died. And I've never done that. In the longest sermon I've ever preached has never, ever done that. So I feel pretty good about that. I'm patting myself on the back. I've never killed anybody with my sermon. Romans 8 and verse 18. Oh, I, I, Hannah's here with me. She's returning to her alma mater. She came to school here, I don't know, back in the I don't know, 90s, 80s, 200s, 1800s. She's, uh, she's here, and she's, uh, I tell you, if you, do I got it on? Testing, testing. Testing, 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 testing. Do you have it? Testing. It says it's on here. It says it's on. Testing, testing. You want me to just move this mic over here? No. Let's see. It's okay. I'll, I'll just bring that mic over here. Okay. I'll mess with it. Anytime I get around anything, what am I doing, Sonny? Hey, let me just move over here. Mike, you'll, you turn the camera over here. I do, I do an online ministry. I do a, um, it's called Redeeming the Time Brothers. I have about 630 podcasts and videos, and I'm trying to reach the young people across the digital divide. I'm sort of a digital street preacher hanging up a sign that the end is near on the internet. Trying to get people ready and bring devotional content to them. And so I'm not, I'm not taking myself because I'm arrogant or proud. I just want to put that on the on the internet. And so I just want you to know that. But Hannah's so excited to be here. It's where she got her very first school spanking. Uh, she had done. Coseway, Coseway came up behind her. She was in kindergarten. I think we started her a little early. She was about four years old. She's bright enough. In fact, she's way smarter than I am, and I'll never say that again, so you might want to get a copy You're of this tape. Every day. She's a smart kid. And Josue uh, patted her on the head and called her shorty. Someone she turned around and bloodied his nose. I don't know what happened. Dr. W got called in, and I got called in. It was just an ugly mess, man. But she eventually accommodated herself to the school and the rules that it's not okay to punch boys in the nose. It's just not right. We don't do that here, as they say. Uh, so, but, but she calmed down, so she was a much better student after that, I want you to know. And she, and so she, she was What? So was Yeah, yeah probably, probably calmed him right down, I would think. I don't know. We're in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. I'm still working on this passage. I don't have it down yet. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of hope, uh, but by reason of him who was subjected to the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Not they only, but ourselves also, which are the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to with the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why did he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the mind 
He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, then he also glorified. What should we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, even rather than is risen again. Who is he that condemneth? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Name all these things. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm so excited for the... Turn this on here. I've got our... Is it on? Can you hear me? Testing, testing. All right. We... I am so excited for this passage because it brings me strength in hard times. I'm convinced of two things the older I get. One is this, is life is hard. And the other thing is God is good. Life is hard and God is good. I remember seeing on the internet one of those sort of uh, juxtaposition kind of a meme that has with it this idea that marriage is hard, divorce is hard, choose your heart. Being, being fit is hard, being obese is hard, choose your heart. Being financially stable and financially responsible is hard. Being in debt is hard. Choose your heart. Communication is hard. Not communicating is hard. Choose your heart. Life is hard, but God is good. But one of the things that surprised me is I got a few years on me. I had this fantasy that life would get easier as I got older. <laughs> what was I thinking? Life does not get easier as you get older. Think about when you were a kid. All your bills are paid. Your food is put on the table in front of you. Your biggest worry when you get home from school is what are you going to do with all that free time? When you're an adult, there's no such thing as free time. There's no such thing as a dis disposable income because you spend it all on your kids. And if you've got a large family, you just keep spending and spending. Every time I, kid I turn around, some kid needs 100 bucks for something. You know, new shoes, new whatever. And everything's 100 bucks, and they all need a lot of it somehow. So, you, 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 but you think, well, maybe life will get easier when I become a senior citizen. Well, I'm getting fairly close to that right now. This is not platinum. This is gray, white hair. And I'm getting older, and life doesn't get easier. It gets harder. Think about this. When you are little and you get a shot, you think that that's hard. But then when you're my age and you get a really serious disease, say somebody has to go in and they have to get dialysis three times a week, that's hard. A different level of hard. That's a hard that it's hard to imagine hard. Or you, you break up with your best girl in high school, and you're going with her, and you break up, and your world comes crashing down. That's hard. But when you lay a mate to rest after five decades, that's a different kind of hard. You know? You understand what I'm saying? You, and and you, could, you could go that with everything in life. Those things that you thought were hard in the past, now all of a sudden become harder. Hard with a hard D on the end of it. You know what I'm saying? And so... But, so I just want to frankly acknowledge that
Your life is hard. Your life is hard. And what's hard for you might be easy for me. What's easy for me might be hard for you. So our heart comes at different levels. I mean, it's, but we all experience this thing called hard in life. So how do we deal with it? With a good God. We, we have to go back to the Word of God and know that there's a good God that rules and reigns in the midst of this groaning, sighing, broken universe who's going to get us through. He didn't just toss you in the deep end of the pool and walk away. He's going to help us. So, let's, let's work our way through this concept that's here. Romans is probably the magnum opus of the Apostle Paul. It is the North Star of the New Testament. It is the brightest, uh, uh, shining star in the constellation of the New Testament. It, it, it is so exciting that it is there. Romans, as, as we sort of break down where we're at in the context of this, the first three chapters of Romans is all about sin. You got again sin. He don't like sin. He doesn't want us to do sin. But even the Jews who excuse themselves because of their experience with the law and the ceremonies, Paul said, you're inexcusable. We're cinerama and panorama. You were all sinners, he says. All the way through chapter 3, he wants everybody to know that the bony finger of, of conscience is pointing at you and you're a sinner. But then he opens up the, the idea of salvation. In chapter 3, he talks about salvation and how, how salvation comes through the propitiation of Christ. His, his death on the cross provides our only access to God and justification by faith. And in chapters 3 through 5, with Abraham being the example of what that justification by faith looked like, he draws on the Old Testament imagery. And he's saying that there is salvation for the sinner that is there. And the just shall live by faith is the theme of this book and of that section. And it's something that's reiterated in three different books of the Bible. It was a part of the great reformation that turned the church around, away from it. And it's something that we need to keep at the forefront of our thoughts and understanding as well. Because we can't earn our way into heaven. You can't, you can't somehow so impress God. Like you'd think if anybody got a pass in heaven, it'd be Eutychus the dude that fell out of the window. I mean, he died in a sermon. I mean, if that's not giving your all, I don't know what is. You don't get in heaven because you died in a sermon. You know, you, you can't earn your way there. Jesus is the only sufficient payment for man's sin. I owed it and I couldn't pay. Jesus paid it that he didn't owe so that I could go to heaven. And that's salvation. It's the power of God and salvation. Then, you know the passage we're in now, between chapter 6 and 8 is sanctification. He's talking about how you and I grow in our walk with God. Salvation was the starting line, not the finish line. It was the beginning of a walk with God. We're meant to continue every moment for the rest of your life where you grow closer and closer to God and you set yourself apart to God. But he makes it plain that we're not to be living under the bondage of sin in chapter 6. And that's what chapter 6 is all about. And then in chapter 7, he wants you to understand you're not in bondage to the ceremonial law that was there. So you have to jump through those hoops of someone trying to impress God. And then in chapter 8, he says you're free from the law of sin and death. As, as you walk in the Spirit, you don't have to live in that condemnation that was there. But it's as you walk in the Spirit, you don't have to do that. And then he talks about the sovereignty of God in chapter 9 through 11, where he's talking about the interrelationship of the church and Israel and, and predestination and poor knowledge and all of those things that Pastor Randy can explain to you so much better than I can. He's that's actually a, 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 a zeroing in of his study. And so I won't embarrass myself by trying to break that down. I know he would be glad to after this is over. Then in chapters 12 through chapter 16, you have service. It's the, in the King James, chapter 16, has the only time the word addiction is used in the Bible, and they were addicted to the service of the saints. 
And it's about service, how we fit into the body of Christ. So this book of Romans is an amazing book. But let's, let's dig into this concept. It starts in verse 18. He's talking about the whole creation groaning. It has with it this idea of sighing. Of like, oh, man. You know, you, you've been there in those situations that just drained you, pulled your plug. Oh, man. You know, and then he's saying the creation does that. So the creation is groaning environmentally. The Christian you will see later is groaning internally or spiritually. And so there's a lot of groaning going on in this passage where individuals in the passage are left speechless. So if I had to give a title of the sermon, you asked me that the other day, I, I didn't know, but I would say speechless might be the title of it. Because it's this concept of the creation doesn't even have words to express the devastation of the person. Christian doesn't have words to express when, it's, when we're trying to communicate with the Holy God of the universe. The, the Holy Spirit is speaking with groanings which cannot be uttered in the passage. And you've got a whole lot of groaning and non-communication going on, but somehow in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit is making communication take place where our cry for help to God is being heard. So, there is this, this concept that's here, this, this groaning. Um, I was preaching one time at, at the, the Boise Free Will Baptist Church. We were restarting the church. It had been shut down for a couple of years, and we had been restarting that work. And we had, it was a summer, we didn't have any air conditioning, so the back door, you know, it gets 100 degrees in, in Idaho, so with the back doors open, and walking down the aisle of that church was a cat. And that cat had walked down the aisle, and it wasn't meowing, you know, cats meow. This cat was going, it could never meow, something wrong with it. When and I ended up taking the cat home, and we adopted the cat. It was it was obviously not worse, hungry, so we take the cat and we adopt the cat. Now, when you adopt a cat, one of the things that you have to do is you have to understand the cat needs to adapt to the adoption. Okay, the, the cat, in, in other words, you take the cat in and the cat has to understand the toy box is not the litter box. You can't, no, 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 candy monster, you can't use the toy box as a litter box. We need to go outside for that or use the litter box. And so you're in the process of adapting to the adoption. Oh, no, no, catty monster, you can't claw up the couch and tear it up. I know you're just trying to keep your claws sharp in case that Doberman Pinscher down the road comes down, but you've got to do that outside because you can't do it on furniture because she'll eat you. I mean, it's not going to be good. You can't do that. So there's an adapting to the adopting. When you were born again, you were adopted into the family of God, given full rights of, of spiritual, all of the accessible to you as an heir of God, you were given that when you were adopted, but now you've got to adapt to your adoption, which is what sanctification is about. Sanctification is adapting to that new adopted lifestyle. I have eight adoptions under my belt. I know I look like I have a lot more under my belt, but I have eight adoptions under my belt. And one of the things that I know as an adopted parent is that there's a time of adapting that takes place after an adoption takes place. So that you're, you have a child that maybe, so six of them were out of foster care. So there were situations where they came from some very broken environments, and they were used to responding to these very broken environments in certain ways. Like probably with, with your kids, you probably don't have a great challenge keeping them from eating out of the garbage, but there's some situations I've had where I've had to keep them from eating out of the garbage because that's what they knew. You know, it, it, so I'm saying you adapt to your adoption. They weren't used to where there was plenty of food, so some of them were horrible. 
Some of them would take food and they would hide it because they didn't know when the next meal was going to come or they were out poor. So they'd hide the food. And so you'd come into the bedroom and you're thinking, why in the world do you got a bologna sandwich in your bed? You know? Well, because they don't know when the next meal's coming. In their world, they, they don't know if their, their mom or dad are going to be able to get things together enough to feed them. So they got to take care of feeding themselves. And they don't break out of that easy. So you got to adapt to your doctor. Dude, I got more food than you can possibly imagine. I got a pantry that's chucked full of food. I got a refrigerator full of food. I got three freezers right now. I, I got so much food. They're not going to starve in my house. We, we cannot buy food for several months and probably be okay. But in their mind, they, they've got to adapt to the adoption. So sanctification is me adapting to the spirit life where I've been set free from the law of sin and death. I, I don't walk in that stuff anymore. That, that I don't owe a debt to the flesh. I don't have to go back that way anymore. Don't look back. You're not going there. Don't live looking in the rearview mirror and, and try to not crash ahead of you just looking in the rearview mirror. Look ahead. Adapt to your adoption. And But a part of that process of adapting to my adoption is making my way through this groaning world. This groaning creation that's broken and shattered. It doesn't work the way that it should work because it's under the curse. And so my mother-in-law, who just recently passed, her and the girls used to sing this song. It's called, We're Not Home Yet, Children. Keep your eyes on the Savior. There's a few more days to labor. We'll sit outside the river. And it's this concept of looking forward to heaven. And so as I make my way through this sin-cursed world, I need to know that the hard times that I go through are only temporary. And I, and I can keep my eyes on the, the prize and I can head towards that, and that's going to give me the strength and the impetus to be able to handle the groaning of this corrupted creation. So you have the whole creation groaning. Uh, it's to sigh. The creation's experience. It's uh, we. It, it's under. It's under a curse. I mean, the, the, literally in Genesis chapter three, God curses the ground. The cosmos is cursed, not because of the creation itself, but because of what man did. The the federal head, I guess, that the represented whatever, whatever it was, whatever Adam did, it messed things up pretty bad. I don't know the, the, the right terminology for it, but it messed stuff up. And, and it messed this cosmos up. And we're, we're in this broken cosmos where it's described as vanity in the King James. It's this idea of emptiness, but it, it has with it an idea of something that's sickly, that's, that's messed up, that's uh, broken, that's less than it should be. And, and this world is less than it should be. The entropy that takes place in, in Dr. W's science class when he talks about entropy, that came about really as a, as a net result of our sin when we sin. We, the law of entropy started in this broken cosmos. And stuff doesn't go from a state of disorder to order. It goes from a state of order to disorder. So you leave the, the field for a while. It doesn't become a pristine garden. It becomes a mess. you got to go out and weed. Because that, that's the creation groaning under the curse. And then the, the, the expression of that, he uses the concept of like travail. It is this idea of, of labor pains. It almost sounds like the idea of dying pains. But, he, but the, the concept is... Really more of labor pains where, where something is being birthed and, and that, 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 what, that which is being birthed is God's fulfillment, God's new heaven and new earth, all that God has for his, his children that follow him. But there's a birthing that takes place. And man, you probably ain't seen anybody close to that like you see a woman giving birth. I mean, that's, that's painful. I, I, I've been kind of, as a pastor, you're going and you pray for some dear woman that's, that's in labor. And if you're holding their hand, I don't hold their hands no more when I pray with them. Man. They, they will go through a contraction and all of a sudden your hands have a contraction. I had, enough, I had enough pain in my hand. I'm thinking, I don't know what she's going through, but it's not good. And I'm like, 
I might go home going, dear Lord, thank you that I cannot give birth because I'm so glad for that. I, that looks like it hurts. It looks like dying, but out of the dying comes life. And out of this painful situation that we go through, this tribulation, Jesus talks about it, I think it's in uh, the Olivet Discourse where he talks about it's like a woman that's in labor and there, there's going to be a birth that's going to come that will make you forget the end of the labor. And, and so it, it, hurricanes, uh, tsunamis, viruses, wars, uh, whatever, that's all a part of this curse that we open the door for that's not just passing and running rampant through the world. We've got to hold on. We're not, we're not home yet, kids. This is, this is not the end of it. It's not the, it's not the final chapter. This is just part of the story. We already know how the end is. In the end, in the end we win. Um, but then there's the expectation. It's, it's talking about the whole creation is waiting in, in this expectation. It's like the creation is, is on its tiptoes looking for something. You, you guys, I love Westerns. I have something broken in here. I, I just love Western movies. I, they're, they're a very distinct hero in, in most of the Westerns. They're very distinct bad guy. In the old days, they would always wear white hat or black hat. So you knew you knew who the bad guy was because he, he came into the town wearing black hats like, oh, dude, this is a bad guy. You know, you, you knew. But it, uh, one of the things I like is whenever whenever they get in a hard time, they always get in some mess, some hard time. The bad guys or whatever are all around them, and they've circled the wagons, and they, they've run out of ammunition. They burned everything they can burn, ate all the food. And then off in the distance, you see you see dust rising up. It's the cavalry coming. The, the rescue is on its way. And so it's this idea that you're looking for the cavalry to come to rescue. Creation is looking for the redemption, uh, the, the, the final conclusion, the wrapping up of everything. Creation was looking for it. Wow. That's awesome, man. That, that, that's, that redemption is coming. Really, the cavalry is not just coming for creation. The cavalry is coming for me. So I don't got to stay in this mess forever. It's a temporary thing. And then you have the Christian voice. Not only they, but we ourselves. We groan within ourselves. So the Christian groans. Internally, creation groans environmentally, but we groan internally. We, we have things that, that hurt our hearts so bad, we don't know if we can get up the next day. And you, you've had that kind of stuff happen. I mean, I, I went through a time in my ministry there at the Peru Baptist Church where I was just, I was spent. I, I was exhausted. I, I, I was, I was in such a dark place. I, I couldn't hardly make it. I, I, I thought I was going to die. I mean, I was getting chest pains, severe chest pains, like three or four times a week. I, I went to get a, eat one of those. What were they called? Stress tests where you run on the treadmill. Dude, don't ever do that. If you're out, if you're out of shape, that boy like me, you don't want to get on that treadmill. Dude, that'll kill you. I, I, it was horrible. But I did the stress test, and they said there's nothing. You know, there's nothing physically wrong with my heart, but I was so under stress, and somehow I'd lost my ability to cast my care on God. I don't know what happened, but I, I was I was preaching over 250 times a year, preaching and teaching. I, I preached three times on Sunday. I, I taught a class on Sunday. All were unique sermons. They weren't the same sermon. I preached on Wednesday night. I had a, um, I just, I, it was it was crazy. I, I counseled during that time. I was I had a ministry to shut-ins where I brought tapes to them. Uh, I was uh, I was visiting between 30 and 50 contacts a week, including the, the shut-in ministry. Uh, then sometimes I was working full-time, a full-time job apart from that. Then I had a massive family. Uh, I just got I I, I I just got so far down and I couldn't get back up. Um, and I had to I had to step away from ministry for a time. 
I stepped away and I didn't do anything for two years. I mean, I did nothing. I teach class. I didn't. I, I, I did nothing. I went. I just went to a church. And I soaked in the Word of God. And I let the people of God just love on me. And God began to heal my heart. I was groaning in my heart, and I was I was in a dark place, and I, I didn't. I just didn't know if I was going to make it, you know. But, but fortunately, when the Christian groans, we have hope, and that hope is Jesus. And he can get you through the hardest times of your life. He can, he can help you through that stuff. And he helped me through it. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to say I'm doing much, 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 much better now. Boy, then I needed, I needed hope. And then, then not only does the creation groan, not only does the Christian groan, but the comforter groans. He, he, he's, he's using these, these phrases that we can't understand to talk to God. But he, he comes in, he helps our infirmities. It's this idea. It's this idea of grabbing hold of a load and helping you carry it. I, I was helping uh, my Pastor Jesse move. He's my father-in-law, and uh, he's he's moving. His wife is passing. He's moving to a much smaller apartment that's more more affordable for him. And we're moving some of his stuff into our place so that he have room room in his place. And my son Lucas was on the other end of the thing, and I asked him to pick it up and, and help me carry it. Now the truth is, I was carrying most of the load. But he saw the size of it. He was intimidated by it. He's like, I, I can't do that. They go, yes, you can. I wouldn't ask you to do something that you can't do. And so we got on the other end of it. I'm carrying the handle. I just need somebody to balance it, guide it, you know, that kind of thing on that end. So the Holy Spirit, he helps our infirmities. He comes down and lifts up that heavy load that's crushing you. And he lifts it up. He helps our infirmities. That's awesome that God can do that to me. He can step down and help me. My favorite movie is The Princess Bride. Okay, I'm a dork. I know, I'm sorry. I, I am. I, I realize that if I say that out loud, I lose my man card. I mean, I just instantly, I just have to pull out my wallet, give my man card over to somebody else. I love The Princess Bride. Dude, it's got sword fighting in it. Okay? That, that's all, that should be all I need to say. But in case it's not all I need to say, it's not a real giant. Okay? I mean, you got a giant and sword fighting? Police. I, you got me, man. I love that movie. And so... The three main characters in it, apart from the, the main leading man and leading woman, are the three bad guys that eventually turn to good guys. Two of them do. And you, you have Inigo Montoya, who's looking for the guy that killed his father. I mean, he was Inigo Montoya. You killed my father, prepared to die. You know, and then that guy, you remember him. If you've never even seen the movie, you've seen the memes about it because it's all over kind of the internet. And, and so he's a skinny guy. You know, and then, but sometimes they'll need some heavy lifting to take place. His buddy's Andre the Giant. This dude's seven something, I don't know, seven four, whatever. His hands, I mean, his hands are like this big. They're huge. I mean, this guy is a real deal, living, breathing giant. He was strong. So, if Inigo Montoya's got problems, is he going to ask the Danny DeVito looking good to help him? Or is he going to ask Andre the Giant to help him? He's going to ask Andre the Giant to help him. God is the one that's strong enough to lift the load you can't lift. Do you understand what I mean? He can handle it. The Holy Spirit, it comes down and strengthens us, supports us in those times when we're weary. And you've been tired before. The little kids don't know tired. I mean, they just kind of run until the battery runs up and they fall down and they go to sleep. You and I, that have got some years on us, man, we get bone tired. Like, like I really, I really wish that people my age could only work like three full days a week and then have the rest of the week off. I'm tired. By the, by the end of the week, I'm exhausted. I'm the head custodian at the middle 
school. Uh, I walked about 17,000 steps a day. One, one app that I had for a couple of years, instead of walking the distance between San Francisco and San Antonio, Texas every year. Like, I come home exhausted, dude, and a lot of that's under load. I'm carrying trash and whatever. I'm tired. You know, I'm bone tired. The Holy Spirit can help us. When, when we're exhausted, I, Isaiah talks about when the young men utterly fall, we can run with wings as eagles. We can run. We can walk. Because the Holy Spirit has the ability to empower us to do what we cannot do on our own. But then it's not just the times that we're weary. Sometimes we wander. Sometimes we go off in our own direction. We're like that dumb little sheep that's going over by the cliff going, oh, what's over here? You know, and we're, we're in danger of falling off the cliff. And for that, we have God, the Holy Spirit that comes and draws us back into right relationship with Him. Strengthens us. And strengthens us to be able to not respond with evil to evil. You know, sometimes, sometimes people, how many of you know people do you dirty sometimes? You know, maybe... Come on, all right, come on. You guys, you ain't being honest. You, you, you've not met some of the people I've met. I don't know, but I, people will often do you dirty, okay? They will. I'm just telling you, you don't understand that, but you need to know in those times, God can give you the power to return good for evil, to rise above them and not to go down to the same level as them. So the Holy Spirit can help you to do that. But not only does the Holy Spirit help us in, in sourcing us with strength, but also He helps us in are speaking to God. Because there's sometimes we don't know how to pray. You've had those times. You've had those times when, well, you, you, you mentioned it when you were praying earlier for prison. I said, I don't know how to pray for him. I, I don't know what direction to go in this prayer. But the beautiful thing is, when we don't know the direction to go, God knows exactly how to pray. The Holy Spirit, He takes those, those impressions of our heart, those thoughts of our heart, and somehow turns it into a prayer to God, even when no words come across our lips. That's a beautiful thing. That I'm, I'm speechless, but God's not. So it's, it's almost like, here's how I would describe it. That there is something called driver-assisted technology. Now, I'm an epileptic, so I, I didn't drive until I was 21 years old. You should be three years seizure-free before you could even apply for a license in Oregon where I live. And so I didn't get state driver's education. I am a bad driver. I'm just going to tell you, I'm not a good driver because I, I got started late. I never had any really proper instruction. I just kind of had to figure it out as I go along. So, and then because of the, in those first three years that we were married, Sandy did all the driving, and she still does all the driving. I'd rather read a book than drive. I, I don't like to drive. But there's something now called DAT, Driver Assisted Technology, brother. That's what I'm talking about. So this thing, like if you're driving along and this driver assisted technology is part of a computer program that's put into your car, if you're about ready to ram into something, even if such a alarm in some cars, it'll actually apply the brakes for you. It'll slow you down because it doesn't want you to ram into that truck that's ahead of you. Or if you're, if say you're, you're about ready to shift lanes and it's not safe for you to shift lanes, it's got a blind spot deal. It detects whether there's somebody in your blind spot. Or you're backing out in the parking lot at Ridley's and you're backing out and there's a car coming that you can't see from where you're at. It stops you and lets you know there's a car back there so that you don't get in that wreck. I mean, this is awesome. Where was this mess when I was learning to drive, man? That's what I need. The Holy Spirit becomes a kind of driver's system in your prayer life, because not always do we know how to pray. So let's say, so let's say that I get discouraged with my 17,000 steps a day, walking from San Francisco to San Antonio, Texas, and I go, God, you got to give me a different job. I don't want to And so I'm praying that you got to give me a different job. Holy Spirit says, in this embedded prayer, in this embedded prayer inside of us, the Holy Spirit says, 
yes, Father, I know he's praying for another job. That's not what he needs. He, what he needs is this. He's, he needs to lean more on you instead of having another job because he didn't understand you're the only, you're the only source for him. And so he needs to learn that. And this job, this growing time in this job is going to teach him to lean only on you. But what he does need is he does need a good Christian to come beside him in the job and bring him encouragement. That's what Gene needs. So I'm praying for another job. The Holy Spirit is in better prayer is praying that I have what I really need instead of what I think of. Does that make sense? So, so when now, now some of you heard that and you thought, well, why do I even pray that? You know, so, no, that's not it. Most of your prayers are actually fine, just like most of your driving is probably actually fine. What the Holy Spirit does is those times when your prayer would collide with the, the will of God, He makes it proper, appropriate. And then, then you get what you need instead of instead of what you think you need. There's this phrase, uh, this little poem, I think, that describes what I'm talking about. It says, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might be humble and obey. I asked for help that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that, that I might have the praise of others. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for but everything I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I think that's pretty good. I know that's maybe not a perfect way to describe it. And if you need any theology behind that, you'll have to talk to Pastor Randy about that. I don't know. Uh, I, I just studied in Bible college. I went for two years to be a Sunday school teacher, so I'm I'm really only equipped to be a Sunday school teacher, not so much a preacher. So just bear with me. If you have any theological questions, please ask Pastor Randy. He can help. You. Or if you want to talk to the really smart one in the family, Doctor Davis is over here, <laughs> and she can help you out really if you want to know the truth. Anyway, so back where I was at. Not fooling around. Um, not only does the Spirit help us in those growing times, but God the Father helps us. Romans 8, 28, probably the most famous passage in the Bible. And we know that all things work together for good, and then we love God, and then we're called according to His purpose. No! He doesn't say we, we think it might be that way, or we hope it might be that way. He said we know. What do you mean by that? I mean, I... Jacob in the Old Testament is so maybe a good example of it. Jacob... Jacob's kind of scoundrel. I mean, he's, he's one of those guys that you read about Jacob and you're thinking, if Jacob's in heaven, there might be hope for me. You know, I, I might make it. I, I don't know. But Jacob, Jacob, a lot of the seeds that Jacob sowed ultimately came up into a harvest. So you sow the way you reap the world with, right? And that kind of thing happens. Well, he sowed kind of some dissension and deception when he was younger. And then when his kids grew up, they were sowing plenty of dissension and deception their own selves. And as this situation unfolds, you've got, you've got Jacob, take a snapshot of his life, you've got Jacob in a situation where one of his sons, his favorite son, he didn't put him any colors, as far as he was concerned, here he was dead. I mean, he was, he was dead and gone. And then, and then not only on top of that, but a great famine has taken place so that now they're starving to death and they've got to go to another nation to buy some food to bring it back home. And when they go there, when they go there, the guy that's running the program, he doesn't want them to come. He keeps one of the brothers, I think it was Simeon, he keeps him hostage until they send the brother Benjamin along. So the new baby of the family is Benjamin. The old baby of the family was Joseph. Joseph's dad, Benjamin, new baby of the family. And, and this other guy, this, this big wig in this other nation, wants him to send his new, the baby 
he sent, he sent Simeon. I mean, he sent Benjamin. That must mean that he felt like something was going to work out. Look, you and I know, if we're children of God, we know that God's got our best interests at heart. God, God will hate you. God will be born and go, you know, I think you're a little coward. I believe I'll blink you. That, that's not what God cares about you. But God wants to bring about your best, your best, the, the best for you in your situation, the best for all people. He's able to work all that together for good. He's able to take the good, the bad, and the ugly, to use a, a Western movie title, and take that and work it together for good. Because he's that kind of a sovereign God. Paul says, we know. Not I'm going to teach you, not I hope so, so we know all and then he says, what should we say to these things in verse 31? Paul is gobsmacked. I mean, he, I love that word. I, I try to use it every chance I get gobsmacked. Where you, oh, you, don't, you don't know. Uh, you know, gobsmacked. He was speechless. That's, that's what it was. David, David in the Old Testament, Nathan has told David, you're not going to get to build the temple. I know you want to build the temple. I know you're getting stuff together for the temple, but it's not going to be you. But out of your mind, that there's going to be a rule and a reign, and out of your line, he's letting him know that there's going to be an eternal rule and reign, really a prophecy of Messiah. And David's like, what can I say? I mean, he, he was not smacked. He was, he was silent. He, wow. He, he was speechless. What can we say? Because he that spared not his own son, but delivered not for us all, how shall not with him also freely us all things? If God has given us the greater, would he withhold the lesser? If he's given you his only son, as, as propitiation or payment for the, he gave, he gave his best for your worst, is he going to withhold something from you? Is he going to then go, nah, I don't think you need that. You know, something you really need. He's not going to do that. He just knows what's best. He's going to do what you actually need versus what you think you need. Does that make sense to you? But you want God's will, not your will. There's two kinds of, C.S. Lewis said there's two prayers in the world. There's, there's, thy will be done and my will be done. Jesus in the garden was saying, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And, and but we, we tend to pray, my will be done prayer. See, prayer is meant to be directed to God, not to direct God. Prayer is meant to be directed to God. It's not meant to direct God. In other words, our human human minds probably not going to be bossing God around. That's why the Holy Spirit does what it does in his driver's system technology and helping us to pray appropriately because we don't realize what Because we, we see a piece, God sees the whole puzzle. We, we understand our current circumstances, but God understands eternal consequences, and he knows how things unfold over the millennia. I mean, he's got a, he's got a millennia agenda, an eternal agenda, and mine is, I don't want to be uncomfortable right now. That's my agenda. I, 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 don't, want, I don't want to be distressed. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to go through any hard times. That's, you know, maybe sometimes you need to go through a hard time. You know, maybe that teaches you something that you would not experience any other way. I know you're feeling like the hostage situation. Go easy. We're, we're almost there. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Um, the idea. Well, first, back, back to withheld. Who withheld not his own son? Delivered him for us all. The only, according to what John Corson says in his commentary on this, he said the only place that that word is used in the Greek Septuagint is where Abraham is uh, is got Isaac up on Mount Moriah, and 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 God stops him from plunging the knife, and it says you, you didn't even withhold your own son. 
And so you have you have sort of the Old Testament picture of the crucifixion with the New Testament picture of the crucifixion to give us a double entendre about God not holding anything back to give you what is really best for your life. But now he closes the book, this chapter, with how he started the chapter. The chapter starts, there's now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Now he's back to that, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? And maybe it brings to your mind this Old Testament picture of the prophets uh, of a vision of heaven where Joshua the high priest is in filthy rags in front of the presence of God and, and old slewfoot Satan is up there going, look at him. Look at look at the sinful condition. And God's like, man, I, you, I see you. You see the bland I, bland I plucked out of the fire. And gives him, and he, he's given righteous robes, new, new robes that are put on. And, and, and he's saying, he's saying, Satan, you got nothing on this guy. You and I, we don't have to live in condemnation. We can walk after the spirit, not after the flesh. We can we can live more not under the under that that crippling load of guilt. My father, before he passed away, had parents schizophrenia, and he had a he had a generalized guilt complex that really fed into his mental illness. It was he he felt like he always wanted to turn himself into the police. I mean, I I probably every two weeks I would have to go sit down with my dad and explain to him that you can't be going down to the police station and volunteering to be guilty of crime. You can't do that. That's not acceptable. You cannot. You know, but he, and so I, I have to sometimes call Uncle Gary, who at that time worked for the FBI. He was, a, I mean, Gary's name is literally carved in the Hoover building on the wall that's there. Uh, and I, I, I would say, hey, Gary, uh, Dad wants to know if he's on any wants and warrants. Is he? No, nope, on any wants and warrants. Okay. Uh, I let Gary tell Dad that because he had this generalized guilt complex. We don't have to live in that. And my, my dad lived in paralyzing, crippling guilt. They didn't have to live it. He had a, he had a tattoo that said, born to lose. Oh, man, if I, I'd have paid money to get another tattoo that somehow obscured that thing. That's a mess. That, that doesn't need to be there, man. You and I were born again believers, sons and daughters of God, ambassadors of Christ, fishers of men. We, we can move in confident victory, even in the midst of hard times, because even though times are hard, God is good. Let's stand. Mighty Jesus, I just thank you for this, Lord. I thank you for these dear ones and the sound of my voice. I pray you'd be with them, God. I don't know the struggle or the hard that they're facing, but I know they face hard. I do pray that you'd be with them. Give them comfort and assurance and strength. Let them know that you're with them moment by moment. They're not going through this alone. They've got you with them. And even when other people don't understand, I thank you that you understand. I pray that you just bless our time together. Help us, God, to grow in quantum leaps as we follow your will. In Jesus' name.